everybody. Welcome to Too Busy to Flush. I'm JR. And I'm Molly. And this is episode 134 of Total Familial Marital Randomness. Randomness. Yes, exactly. Um, We don't... uh, Those of you that have been with us for a while, you know the drill. Those of you that haven't, we don't plan our shows to... We don't know what we're going to talk about to aid with... And that's all on kind of on purpose, um, kind of... Not on purpose. It started out because Molly and I just, we're busy. We, we have four kids at home, 12, 10, 8, and 5 next week. And, you know, we're just busy, you know, and so we don't talk about much. And when we're free, she's on her phone surfing the web and I'm sleeping. So there you go. And so we don't talk about much except for... Except Necess- for throwing shade at each other <laughs> on public? No. Goodness. Necessity. It's <laughs> never necessity. Uh, to aid with that, though, I have a, a timestamped list of show notes in uh, a timestamped list of topics and where we go on the show. There's generally a thread throughout uh, throughout that the emerges. Episode. Yeah. Um, so that's us in a nutshell. We've been married for 15 Fif- years. So I'm always 15. saying 16. Are we in our 16th year or we are we in our 15th? We will. Uh, Did you smash your toenail, or is that like some weird leftover polish? That's nail polish that's been on for a long okay. time. Wow. I did, however, when I was leaving the church brunch this morning, I looked down and I had blood pooling Ew. in my shoe. I have no idea why or how. I was helping take down... I bet this was it. I was helping take down tables, mm-hmm. and when's the last time you picked up a wooden folding table, like oh, full size? Probably after the spring lunch we had at the church that's true they are shockingly heavy compared to plastic folding tables we've gotten spoiled the banquet tables man modern technology i remember rolling out we had when i was catering in chicago during college we had these huge heavy wooden round tables that we'd roll out oh they're so they're they're so heavy compared to plastic tables the benefit though is they don't feel cheap like a plastic table, you just sit at it, you can knock on it, it sounds hollow, it's really light, kind of can be flimsy. That's true. These big monster ones we use for these banquets, they didn't move. This one was so heavy, though, that, you know, it has the metal lip around the around the mm. edge of it, and you carry it by the metal lip. I it, picked, it bends. And it, cuts yeah, it got kind of wonk. I was yeah. a little bit afraid it was going to fall off. Anyway, uh, no, my toe is fine. My ankle is randomly bleeding, and I have been actually so busy today that I just I completely forgot to wash the blood off. Yeah, she got you guys. She got home. I think it was yesterday or was it Thursday? I don't remember. But um, no, it was yesterday because I asked you how you slept the night the previous night. It was Thursday because you asked how I slept on Friday morning. Yeah, on Friday morning I was like, you asked how'd you sleep? She goes, oh, I slept. I slept pretty good, actually, but I think I worked in the garden like six hours yesterday. Because <laughs> I, so what happened? And it's and been it, warm. It's been like in the 80s. It's been super warm. I'm super <clears throat> motivated. I, I, I might have gotten a little too ambitious in starting my seedlings, though. Because, you know, you start seedlings, you put two seeds into each cell of a little tray in order to, in case one doesn't germinate. Well, pretty much everything germinated. And... I decided that I would see if I could separate some of them and repot some of the things. And I still haven't repotted everything that needs to be repotted. But basically, of the 12, of the 24 tomato seedlings that I planted, and don't be super impressed, you guys, because my seedlings are an inch tall. So by the time I get them in the ground, they're not going to be ready to crush it by any means. But. Of of the 24 tomato seedlings, I divided all of those out. So now I have 48 tomato seedlings that are an inch tall. Same thing with cabbage. I started 24 cabbages. I've never grown cabbage before, but a friend of mine grew some beautiful cabbage last year. And I, I think it would be super fun to do that. And so I started 24 of them. I'm planning to do a whole row in the garden. Here's an interesting thing. I've been learning about clustering things that you plant. So you don't just do a row of cabbage. You do things that complement each other in terms of pest repellents and things in the onion, garlic, and leek family repel pests that like cabbage. And there's (laughs) no reason you can't plant leeks 
in between all of the cabbages. Yeah, we did get really. I mean, it makes sense. When I was looking at um, when I planted that one maple and it died, it occurred. I, I looked it up and I'm like, oh, I'm an idiot, because they say all over the place like maples are shade trees. They need shade to grow well. And I planted it in full sun. Mm-hmm. And then I was looking at planting black walnut trees. Well, you can't plant them near fruit trees or certain they, kinds like, of trees because they'll no. yeah they'll kill the fruit. Yeah, so this is more like yeah they there are plants that complement each other in terms of chemicals that they let mm. off, uh, good things that they attract, and uh, so another example is nasturtiums. Bugs love nasturtiums, and so they call them a trap plant. You plant them next to something else that the bug would like, and the bug will prefer the nasturtium to the tomato or whatever else it's it's close to. But the idea of you know not just doing modern you know here's a row of cabbages but more like a things would grow in the wild all interspersed together and close together a cabbage and a leek isn't they're not going to compete with each other so mm-hmm. they can grow up right next to each other anyway i separated out 24 cabbage little cells of plants into 48 <laughs> so we might have 48 cabbages by the end of the summer. I'm a little worried about where I'm gonna, what I'm going to do with my trees when they grow out of these buckets. Yep, we are going to have a lot of trees too. But anyway, yes, I spend a lot of time working in the garden. <clears> and <throat> Hard work is good for the body and good for the soul and good for sleep. And uh, today what happened is the, our neighbors across the ditch from us cut down a tree and then had it shredded or so, something. It's in little shreds. Uh-huh. And he came across yesterday and asked JR if we wanted it and it's it's a huge pile. I probably made almost 10 trips across their whole lawn and across the mm-hmm. ditch emptying it into because we have some we they're they're actually boxes that apples came to a cider mill in and a friend of ours had bought them and then moved and we bought them from them. And they're what would you say like 4 by 4 by 2 maybe boxes? Four, four feet by wide, four, three. four feet, three feet tall. Yeah, they're pretty Two tall. Feet. Anyway, I don't want to fill them all with dirt because that would be crazy expensive. So I'm going to fill them with. Which this is so. Shredded. Your timing made me want to pull my hair out today. I have asked you several times about the dirt. Yeah, but you've never given me a purpose of where to put it. She got. You got we, so, <clears throat> backing up. I've been helping. My dad um, has started making full progress on the shop. So the last week, I've been working with him full time. Forms, footings. They've been digging out. They've been, you know, all the things. So we've had a monstrosity pile of dirt in our yard for about a month now. Just a huge pile of dirt. So the last two days, I've been spending all my time. I've been backfilling, and then I'm like hauling this dirt away. So we need to get rid of the dirt. We don't. And then Molly texts me after I get rid of all the dirt. She goes. Hey, do we have any dirt to fill these apple boxes with? I didn't and know I wanted you to hit of... my head on the wall for a minute there. Okay, how did you start the show? <clears throat> Apparently, we don't communicate enough. <laughs> and JR is super irritated all the time this week, so we're really not communicating because I'm just trying to stay away from him. I don't like I don't like construction work at all. This is not my my jam. I'm not enjoying it. Um, it's yes, everybody says you get a sense of progress when things go up. Yeah, that's it's nice. Uh, you see walls and footings go up. Great. I don't need to see them go up. <laughs> so it's just like, I, it's not, um, no, not down, which is weird because I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed building out this studio that we're sitting in and that was a lot of work and I enjoyed building out the van mostly. Um, I did find most of the van build and even some of this just tedium work that just wasn't any fun. So I don't know. <clears throat> yeah, it's not my jam. Um, I'm doing it because it's an obligation. I need to. And yeah, I recognize that. Okay, I'm going to change gears before you throw another dig at me. Um, I'm not digging at anybody. Do you think that there is any biblical <clears throat> warrant for Dante's levels of hell? The idea that someone will be punished worse for really egregious sins. So just to lay out why I'm asking this, I can't remember where the discussion in James with the kids was, but 
Uh, one of our pastors in a sermon a couple of weeks ago, it's been a while now, set, made the comment, now I, now I have to remember how the comment was, all sin offends God, but not all sin is equal. It was something to that extent. That all sin is an offense against the holy God, worthy of, for the wages of sin is death, but not all, sins not all sin is equal. And In the paradigm was, of things, me, our kids refusing to uh, obey mom when they clean the floor is far less than uh, me going out and murdering my neighbor. Right. Or, you know, when Jesus says in the Beatitudes, you know, um, you've heard that it is said, do not murder. But I tell you, if you hate somebody in your heart, you basically committed murder. Um, yes, but do you, I guess I'm just, I was, so I, was, I can't remember what Bible verse had us thinking this, but I was telling the kids, you know, I don't think that, um, yeah, being it disrespectful. Was in, it was in James, right? I think so. That's pretty much all the Bible conversations. Sometimes we have conversations about the catechism because we're working our way through the Westminster guys, Shorter Catechism. Have you been talking about the sin of partiality? Faith without works is dead? No. Taming the tongue? Wisdom from above? We're not We're not that far Warning yet. Against worldliness back to I don't one. remember. It may have been from hearing the catechism. And, hearing and doing the... Okay. Um, yeah, because you Speaking guys, of yeah. which, so King Charles was... His Titus says coordinated. <laughs> the corn, coordination... Not the coronation, the coordination. Um, he was crowned king this morning in the wee hours of the morning. And JR's mom watched all of the crown TV show. And uh, so she was up early watching it. And the kids have been back and forth to their house watching it too and picking up these little tidbits. And one of them was I think England's monarchs have been crowned in Westminster Abbey since. I may be getting this wrong, since 1066 AD. And I said, did you know that same place is where the people got together to write the Westminster Shorter Catechism that we're working through? It's named after Westminster Abbey, where they gathered to write that, and it's the same place that monarchs in England have been crowned for almost a thousand years, <clears throat> which is kind of wild. The whole the whole concept of the, of the, of the monarchy, I think it was like a year or two ago, I kind of was like, it just, it, I got really curious about the British monarchy. I'm like, is it, is it, have, has the monarchy been stripped pretty much of all power anymore? Like it's purely pomp and circumstance. And for the most part, I think it is anymore. The parliamentary system has kind of just over a period of time scooped away most of the, of for, the monarchy's power. In, in a good way. By and large, right? By and well, yeah, I would guess if if you think it's a good thing, I don't know. Um, but it's just it kind of like this is the first coronation since 1953. I think my mom had mentioned tonight. Um, yeah, because Queen Elizabeth was, just just celebrated her yeah. diamond jubilee. And my mm-hmm. my thought was, you know, when I was watching part of it just tonight. You know, all of there's a lot of ornate stuff. They're in horse-drawn carriages, gold leaf horse-drawn carriages. You know, there's the outfits. Um, you know, are outlandish. Are out, just just old. You know, well they're stuck in a time period. My mom's like, yeah, they're stuck in the 1700s. But in the 1700s, if they were to do that again, they would have those same outfits, but full military. They'd be running. You know, the king's guard. Would be running down, you know, walking also in formation down the street. Also, because they're fighting off potential, you know, threats like, to the throne. Yeah, this is all this, you know. And now it's like there's no modern military involved in any of this. Like there's no guns, there's no, you know, there's no just nothing guns, going on. Yeah. And so I was just kind of laughing because I was like, man, can, if they did that, like one, it'd be really kind of cool. But two, people be like, whoa, what kind of statement are you what, making? Yeah, what kind of statement? Western are you worlds don't parade militaries. You know, and it's like maybe it's my other thought when I could you imagine if our military had a parade? Oh, Yikes, man. we wouldn't want to see it. Oh, it'd be a riot. The baton again. twirling. Like, it'd be like a Japan a January sixth. You know, meal. the Navy has a drag queen recruiter right now, right? Yeah, um, like campaign. Charlie Harper, Harpy. Yeah, Har- Charlie like Harpy, the, Harpy. Some, 
Yeah. Harpy, Harpy something. Something. Harpy Daniels. Um, the it was just I was like, man, I. It would be kind of cool if the king decided to take back some power. Can he do that? I don't even I don't, know if he can do that. I don't that. know that he can do that. Um, do you know what the Magna Carta was? <sighs> I the, did. The Magna Carta. It's not something we think dates. about. So it, it, it took away a lot of the king's power. <clears throat> yeah. It was one of the first modern documents. I'm just Googling it really quickly when it was. Um, the king was doing all this stuff just willy-nilly. June of 2015. The first document to put into writing the principle that the king and his government were not above the law. And basically the the whatever dukes and whatever else um, in the kingdom told whoever the king was, we're not going to let you come back to your throne unless you sign this document that basically says you submit to the same laws as everybody else and you can't just willy-nilly go take... Go take uh, property, go do whatever you want. You are under the same law that everybody else is under. And that was a huge, that was the first thing of its kind in the world, really. I mean, it's the monarchy thing is attractive. Like, and I think, I think it's we were, it's we, supposed to be, right? In our hearts, we want a king, right? We yeah. want a good king riding on a white horse and conquering his enemies and standing up for what's right. Doing and justice and, you know, yeah, that's dispensing justice and providing answers and you know all the things and and i think that's why americans are still so attracted like we're still we celebrate the fourth of july with gusto and yet how many americans were up at three in the morning watching the coronation you know and yeah or take a vested interest in it the other interesting thing that your mom said that kind of perked her ears up during the whole thing was he had to take a vow to protect the throne from Catholics. <laughs> what? Apparently, it's still a thing. Probably going back to Henry the Eighth. You know, yeah. he's like, I'm not going to be Catholic because I want to. The divorce. Church of England is Anglican. Yes, the Church of England and Anglican are were synonymous yeah. until Anglicanism spread. But essentially, the the Church of England was started not for theological distinctives, but to not be under a pope, so Henry could get could, a divorce. Right. Oh yeah, right. right so right. he could have a male mm. heir to his throne. Um, and to this day, he now the King of England has to take a vow to protect his throne from Catholics. Well, what's he gonna do if Catholics start, like? Well, no, what, no, no. Here's you know, the, here's I the mean, thing. like he's got no power. So. I, I no. I think. I think. What he has to take a vow to do is to not have a, a child or himself marry a Catholic. So, so if he were to marry, oh, if he right. were to marry into the like the Spanish royal family that's probably Catholic, or the French royal family that maybe you know traditionally would be Catholic, then a Catholic, even if they marry a non-Catholic, will want to have their children baptized in the church and whatever else. I mean, we know Catholicism is evil. The other, um, <laughs> sorry guys. Um, the uh, I I had a phrase go through my head, and I don't know if I like maybe I saw it on a TV show. I read something. I was like, "Get the king! I'll I'll call the king, or I'll call the prime minister." And then, but you know, there's it seems like England has a prime minister, which is more or less equivalent to like our president presidential office. Yeah. You know, um, that said though. Why isn't the king or the queen the head of the state? And so this is something I'm sure we've got a nerd out there who's going to jump on our Telegram group and be like, "Oh, I'll tell you why." Um, but but like, it's way more why, fun to just mouth off. And yeah, know what it's, we're no, it's just about. no, no. It's actually I'm actually posing. I'm musing out loud. Really, I'm not like trying to mouth off stuff. I don't know. Like it just it's interesting to me that the, they have a prime minister as because I always kind of thought the prime minister was subordinate at least early on subordinate to the to the king or queen but it seems like anymore like the prime minister is the true head of state and the, and um, the king or queen is not which yeah. it doesn't make that doesn't make sense to me and i'm just kind of curious think, as to why but. i don't think the king and queen have any mm -hmm. uh actual yeah. legal power they don't and so that that's where uh, that division is interesting to me that they could have had um well okay uh -huh. ah. so in um uh, i was reading i don't remember what book i read this in um 
the king of Germany, the king of Germany, uh, was kind of duped into handing over most of his power to Hitler, who was his, who became his prime minister, who was his prime minister at the time. And he kind of got. Did you read that in the Metaxas book about? Might have been the Metaxas book. Um. So at the time, the king of Germany was pre World War II was the head of state, but the prime minister assumed much of the role, and I think largely too the king abdicated a lot of his his stuff to that. But he was still supposed to be the head of state until all of his power was stripped away, and then he, like obviously Germany has no king. So um, it's it's interesting, like. The English monarchy thing is just somewhat fascinating to me. I think it's fascinating to everybody because it's, you know, I mean, there's kings of countries still around the world, but it's definitely not a political, uh, a political model that's um, even remote. And it's been around forever, like for like go back through history all the way to the biblical times, and there's always been like. A Give king, us like we want a king a like pharaoh, the nations around us. A, a king, a pharaoh, an emperor. There's always been some supreme head of state, and then all of a sudden, in the modern era, maybe the 1700s, civilization as a whole, the humanity as a whole, started doing away with these kings. Sort which of, which is interesting. Except, um, so, um, I think there's a lot going on there. It's not just that civilization well, yeah. started doing away with them. Um, this this segues a little bit to an Instagram reel that I thought was fascinating. And this guy was like, what's the real difference between Canadians and Americans? Canadians are more polite, you know, this or that. And he's like, I think the biggest d- distinction between Canadians and Americans goes all the way back to the fact that America was born of revolution. England was treating all of the New World the same. They were taxing the poop out of Canada just like they were America. And the colonies, the colonists said, no, 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 we no taxation without representation. You can't just tax us willy nilly. We're going to do the Boston Tea Party. We're going to organize. We're going to recruit people up and down the coast. We're going to fight back. America was born through revolution. Do you know when Canada was technically not considered under the English monarchy anymore? Take a guess at what year Canada um, was technically its own country separate from England. 70s. The 80s. Ah, I should know these things because I'm a quote-unquote Canadian citizen. And they didn't... So he says, I'm reading the manuscript right now. Canada was born from compliance. The same thing was happening in Canada and America at the same time, except that we didn't want to take it anymore. Um... They stood up to the greatest power the world has ever seen, the largest army the world has ever seen. Farmers stood up with some muskets and said, no, we're not taking this anymore. We're going to form the greatest democracy the world's ever seen, and we're going to kick your butts. No. And what happened in Canada, we just rolled over and took it. We begged the monarchy, hey, we'll pay our taxes, we'll do anything you want, please just don't hurt us anymore. In fact, not a lot of people know this, but Canada wasn't considered an independent nation and is separate independently from Britain until 1982. 82. Um, 1776 to 1982 is how long Canada just rolled over and took it from, from Britain. So here's the thing, though. In, in studying world history with the kids, and I've appreciated this in our curriculum, we're not just America-centric, but around the time, a little bit after the American Revolution... It was this huge chain. Remember, the French Revolution was going on at the same, basically the same time. And that put Napoleon in power. And then Napoleon, you know, became emperor because the French didn't have this amazing philosophical underpinning for their revolution that our founding fathers did here in America. And so they basically just went from opulent Louis the 14th to Napoleon who's like I'm going to conquer the world and then he taxed the French and he mm-hmm. spent all their money and he killed like 500,000 French soldiers trying to invade Russia and um <laughs> this Napo- the Napoleon story just 
cracks me up. Everything about it. Like, they're like, we don't really want to kill him because we think that would make a lot of French people really mad. So we're going to put him on an island and we're going to call him king of this island that has nobody on it. And we're going to let his mom live there with him. And he... It's like something we would do with Trump. It's so silly. It does. <laughs> it's so silly. And he'd be like, so then, okay. So then he, like, somehow amasses enough money to come back and he spends like six months as emperor of Nepal- of France again. And then they're like, okay, this time we're going to send you further away. And people would go on vacation to this island just to gawk at Napoleon until he died. And on his deathbed, he claims that somebody poisoned him. Um, anyway, all in the midst of that, in order to finance, like in order to finance his military campaigns, he sells this massive chunk of of the the new world to us the louisiana purchase which then enables all sorts of shipping and commerce as well as the lewis and clark expedition and all these things but right around the time of the louisiana purchase south america was like we're also going to throw off spain so remember they were technically under spain or portugal or you know a couple of other france Spanish a couple of other rule, places yeah. but but um pretty much in this chain of events, all of those countries became their own countries in revolution. So, I mean, they went from having their, you know, Aztec, Mayan kings to being subject to the king of Spain, to the king of Portugal or whatever, to being independent nations that had to come up with their own constitutions and things like that. You in- guys, pause. Molly has actually been studying in depth the Lewis and Clark uh, journey and history and all that stuff with the kids uh, in full in the last. It's really fun. Weeks. We're reading a book called The Captain's Dog, which is written from the perspective of Meriwether Lewis's <clears throat> Newfoundland, who came along on the expedition with them. I picked that book for a read aloud because I thought the kids would think it was funny to read a book from the dog's perspective. And except the dog's name, he was bought on a wharf where Lewis was having a boat built. And he sees the, this giant Newfoundland, and he's like, I want to take that dog on this big trip with me. So his name, because he was the dog was actually born on a ship at sea. That's historical fact. His name was Seaman, as in S-E-A-M-A-N. But when the kids say it, it's Seaman. <laughs> it cracks me up every time we talk about the dog Seaman. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm totally nerding out on the Lewis and Clark expedition. It's very interesting Especially because we're in the heart of Lewis and Clark territory right here. I mean, every body of water, every major body of water that you cross, if if you're in Montana, um, somehow is recorded in their journeys in some capacity. Okay, I want to set something straight on the show, though. America is not a democracy. We are a republic. We're a Constitutional very, we are republic. Very distinct differences, and it irritates the ever living bejesus out of me. If I had a bejesus in me, you uh, have Jesus, Jesus in you. Not a, a bejesus. Uh, it's when people are like, "Oh, we're a democracy," or "We're going to be a democratic," you know. Okay, I recognize that a, some of the republican form uh, the, of a republic is democratic in some nature, but it's not a democracy. So it's funny because when you look, when you think about that and look at the two parties in American, in the American political system, like in the truest sense of the word, I am very much a Republican. <laughs> in today's contemporary Republican party, I'm not a Republican. And then the, the, the Democrats really do want the vast majority rule. Yeah. They don't want Pure, an elected, straight majority, straight, they don't majority want individualism and they don't want you know, uh, an, you know, representative, a mm-hmm. representative system. They want straight majority. And, and like, check the Whoa. checks and balances. Yeah, guys, you're right. Okay, so you're I just right. said that straight because okay. it just really irritates so, me. So back to my question before we went down the the king uh-huh. uh, thing. Do you think that punishment in hell will be worse for some people than others? Um. And do you think that people who are in heaven will know that? You're asking a loaded question full of hypotheticals. There is some discussion. Well, back to that. Historical understanding, uh, and I did actually study this at one point, but my brain is all fuzzy. So traditional historical orthodox understanding is that hell or Hades is below the earth, and there are... uh, There is a theology of varying levels of hell. Do you mean that the earth is flat? 
that's, I don't mean it's flat. <laughs> I mean, we've come to understand early on. Yeah, that's what it meant early on. Um, but it's, it's, we've adjusted our understanding a little bit based on our science to clarify some things. And, and now it's considered a spiritual, uh, a spiritual understanding of Hades or hell, which the Bible talks about both. Um, there are passages that are, I can't list. There are passages that, that hint at levels of hell, not necessarily a, um, uh, help me out. Uh, purgatory, yeah. Um, not necessarily a purgatory where you go and work off. No, basically I would say suffer. not necessarily. Absolutely no yeah. purgatory. Not not in a purgatorical sense where you go and uh, suffer away your sin for a predetermined period of time and then you can go back. You can go to heaven. Um, not in that sense, but there is a there is some hints at uh, the concept of levels of hell. However, we have had. Uh, this that was all pre. It's all Old Testament. This pre, uh, pre New Testament revelation. So I think, um, I don't think. I believe that Scripture teaches that hell is eternal separation from God at its core, and likely involves um, the same lake of fire torment that uh, Satan and his minions are getting thrown into. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I believe, and so that separation is sin in the first sense of the of sin that we talked about with um, Brad's comment that all sins are uh, an offense and a separation from and justifiably a you know condemnable condemnable before God. Before God thank you. Um, all of those. It doesn't matter whether it's a major sin or a small sin. Uh, all sin is is worthy of worthy of condemnation. condemnation. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what the level is. So I think that at the core, it almost in my if I was going to break it down, it doesn't matter what level of suffering you're at. You're separated from God. That you will in, know in torments. Yeah, that you will know, and that will be enough. Like you, yeah. it's everything beyond that pales in comparison. I I wonder though. I mean. I totally agree with you, and I feel like in some ways it's kind of niggling, um, because eternal torment is eternal torment, right? Um, but on the flip side, the the thief on the cross who did zero good works besides trusting in Christ to forgive his sins, he... Okay, now I'm pausing, because I'm contemplating... If his, could you imagine being the first person to heaven post Jesus? You know, you're greeted with Abraham and all these people and they're like, we got here by faith of things unseen and you got here by faith in the one that you did see. I wonder if it was a little, well, little bit different. Yeah. You know, you bring up another thing too, because it's like, well, it depends on where you land on when you go to heaven. <laughs> That's you true. know, scripture says to be. Uh, when you die, I can't remember what 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 verse it is. You're away you from die, the body. You're with the Lord. Yeah, you're with the Lord, but it doesn't really. I, I don't know the Greek translation behind that. If it's an immediate with, or if there's an unspecified period of time. I think it's immediately with. Okay, then that would be post Jesus would be a, would be largely like everybody who was there from the Old Testament time was like, "Hey, you're back." And then everybody knew would be like, yeah. well, this is cool. That's true. Because <laughs> um, he was there to begin with. Well, oh, you're not, back. You did not it. in not as a you know he, I I think a golly, I feel like everything about this discussion is over my pay grade, which is zero to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, we don't get any sponsorships. We don't get ad revenue. We don't have subscription models. Nothing. We I explored subscription people, stuff for extra content. People buy stuff, swag from our store yeah. and from our Amazon store. We don't, have, we don't have enough uh, discipline anyway. to throw down content regularly for subscribers. Um, As I've come to that conclusion. Also, my pay grade is zero, just regardless. But... Um, you get me, baby. Where was I going with this? No, I, I, I believe that there's scriptural warrant to believe that when you close your eyes in your final sleep, you open them in the presence of the Lord. But... Do you open them right away? See, that's the question. But <laughs> what... 
what Jesus did not have a body prior to, well, unless you think about like Dan, the four men in the furnace or whatever. Well, not but, a human form. That right. He didn't of. have a human form, but, but I think. He would the, have been the same substance that is the, God, right? The church's historical belief is that Jesus now exists in heaven eternally with his body. He ascended uh-huh. into heaven with a body. And so Jesus, pre, his pre-existent being was different than what his eternal being will be because he is the person of the Godhead who eternally uh, has assumed human likeness. Which, I mean, that by itself is kind of mind-blowing when you realize what level of status in the created order angels animals planets humans what status we have and relationship we have to god that god eternally takes on a human form and everybody everybody else's bodies are in the dust right now who has died and their souls are with the lord if if that's what you believe but jesus up there with his eternal body Wherever up there is. I've um, already got but it. But no, okay, so going on Okay, to- this is a perfect time to give my favorite pickup line that I had at Christian College. <sighs> hey, baby, you're not going to change much when you get to heaven. You already got a glorified body. I roll. <laughs> and every 40-something-year-old woman's like, um, no. <laughs> um, every dude's like laughing. Um, okay, I'm waiting so- for more Jesus pickup lines on our Telegram channel. <laughs> I'm waiting for people to slap us down with our discussion that's above our pay grade. No, um, it'll be fun. I do believe that your your eternal joy in the Lord when you are in heaven, trusting in His righteousness alone for your salvation, your eternal joy is somewhat different if you have lived a life of faithfulness versus if you're living a life of wanton disregard for the Lord and then you have a deathbed conversion. Now you're getting now you're getting to the Yeah, now you're touching on the thing that, you know, we we've talked about this often when we've had these conversations come up in groups of people too, where, you know, okay, it's time to give your testimony. And, you know, somebody like me has a really boring testimony until I'm, you know, almost thirty. And the rest of the, you know, well, uh, my dad beat me and my mom raped me and, you know, I got I did drugs my entire life and then I found Jesus. And you're like, cleaned up his life. Whoa, dude, Jesus did a big work in him. Yeah. And he didn't do nearly as big a work in the rest of us that he persevered and kept from a variety of things, you know. Um, I don't know. I don't know that we're not, I know that we're not going to struggle with that issue when we get there. Well, yeah, I mean, um, <laughs> You know, like a parent, I rejoice at the fact that my kids are not aware of certain evils in the world right now. It's not a parenting flaw that they're that they, you know, are able to have this dramatic knowledge of the difference between their lives and kids' <clears throat> lives mm-hmm. who are, you know, sold into sex trafficking or are starving, whatever. Um, it's a point of grace that our kids don't go to bed hungry. And, you know, to to flip that, like, that's... That's how God has chosen to parent some of us in in the faith. And whether he's giving us a dramatic point of testimony of God snatching us out of the pit or whether his our testimony is that God has been faithful to me for my entire life, uh, those are both should be equally powerful testimonies to God's grace. At the but, same time, at the same time, though, we're saved from the same thing. Yes, like we it's are not saved that person murdering, raping, and pillaging that you know gets them. It's not their saving from that versus our saving from. Okay, you stole some candy from a grocery store. You know, it. It's the saving. Doesn't matter and, where, you, and it's where you're saving saved from. of a soul that is set is hell bent, set against God apart from His grace, but. I think that I think I was telling the kids. It, you know, as glimmers of this original conversation are coming back to me, I think I was telling them how many people, because they know generally who Hitler was, even though we haven't studied that yet, and, you know, how many millions of people 
died, not at his hands personally, but because of him. And, you know, if he were to have repented and confessed Jesus as Lord on his deathbed, he would be saved just as much as we would. I do believe that we increase our capacity for enjoying the Lord here on earth when we exercise, you know, I'm sure, I know we've talked about this on the, on this, on here before, but if you're going to do a hike to the top of a 14,000 foot in Colorado, foot mountain in Colorado, somebody on our Telegram channel was just talking about driving through Colorado and how beautiful it was. If you're going to plan to hike to the top of one of those, you, if you persevere and you get there, or if you have someone put you like the guy with no legs, Kevin, you know, put you in a backpack and carry you to the top, you're, you get to the top regardless. But if you exercise, you're going to enjoy the the track a whole lot more and you're going to enjoy the glory of it more because you're not heaving for air, uh, the whole time that you're at the peak. When we are in heaven, if we have exercised our spiritual muscles into alignment with the way God designed us to work, I think that we will be more in tune with the joy of the Lord in heaven if we've been tuning our hearts to the joy of the Lord here on earth. And if I was cutting sound bites, that'd be one. <laughs> um, but... That's st- so so is there a mere image of that is what may actually made me wonder this question is there a mere image of that in hell if we've been so hellbent on our own way that we reject who God is does that um, make our experience of the absence of the Lord more of of God's wrath it's not just the absence of the Lord it's actual experiencing of God's wrath um your your the experiencing of the wrath will be greater or you'll be more attuned based on how much you deserve it or how much you've done wrong i can see how that might work i just don't know it's I mean, a tu- we don't it's know a tuning. that much about well you how. just talked about tuning yourself exercising in the good things yeah. to tune yourself to 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 uh enjoy those things even more um the tuning of in the opposite direction. In the op- you tune yourself in the opposite direction to suffer, or that. I mean, think about a person that is. Uh, I mean, we know people like this that just beat themselves up for what they've done. They're just always beating themselves up for what they've done. Yet they continue, which is a form of pride. Would they continue to be in that behavior though? Because it's a form of right. pride. So you go to hell now, and you just beat yourself up that much more, and you bring suffering upon yourself almost yeah. um, um i don't <sighs> i don't you know, like the concept of one person having a better experience of heaven or a bigger mansion or everything else than me <laughs> that's pride <laughs> i but i also recognize that there's um that's because you didn't have all the jewels filled out in your crown in a wand yeah. huh? but there's some, but is there merit then to is there merit then to the whole the concept of if you're the greater rewards concept of your your works on earth will be storing up treasures in heaven. And I think that's where we get this whole thing from. You know, script Matthew, what, 633? I don't know. I think there's probably something in, no, in Revelation not, uh, about jewels in the crown. It's not Matthew 633. Too. It's um, yeah. Matthew. Um, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Yeah. But mm. 633 is. Uh, seek uh, first the kingdom of God. God. Yeah. Um, I I don't like that concept because it puts onus on me to to live a better life here on Earth. But I don't see why that would be wrong. I mean, you're not talking about you're not um, talking about earning, you're not talking going about a heaven. salvific yeah you're not talking about salvific works here and you're not talking about ple- you're not talking about earning God's favor whether no. it's salvific or otherwise because that I think is where the heart motive totally comes in. If you're doing something because it somehow makes God owe you either salvation or rewards in heaven, you're doing it in a sense of control, not in a sense of truly serving the Lord as the king who deserves everything from you and deserves your full allegiance. And here we're going back to the king thing. You just can't get away from it, right? Um. 
I was really looking forward to seeing where this would <laughs> circle back around because it always does. <laughs> we want to serve the king. We want to hope that our our service, our desire, and this is kind of what I talk about the kids too. Just throwing some parenting in there. You know, we want your desire for God to transform your heart so that those good things in life are now a joy to you. Right. You like, seek those out. You look for opportunities to love and serve. And so they're not burdensome. It's not like like in like in the case of the shop. It's not like I got oh well I need to work really, really hard and suffer through two months of building a shop to get the shop. Conversely, I don't have to suffer to serve because that's a joy to me. God transforms my heart into that joy. This is a joy right now to serve the poor, to give my money away, to love others better than myself, to practice gentleness, to not lose my temper. You know, those things are become a joy. And so I look forward to those things because and they, they're not you burdensome. Are, you are Christ in you is actually growing and changing right. you from the inside out. I mean, I mean, this is the whole eat your vegetables because they're good for you thing, right? Do you eat your vegetables because they're good for you or do you eat vegetables because they're delicious? Yes. Some vegetables are more delicious than others. Some aren't delicious at all. That's true. I, you guys, I don't like turnips. I've tried, I tried growing them in the garden beets? a few years ago. Oh, I just want to throw up in my mouth. I kind of want to try growing golden beets this year. Apparently they have a more mild flavor and they don't turn your pee red. Um, I might just order a packet of um, of golden beets and throw them in the ground. And I mean, the great thing now is if we don't like them, we just feed them to the chickens. <laughs> <laughs> and, okay, so this is funny, you guys, a little side note. Uh, remember, maybe it was just on our Telegram group that we were talking about dandelions and we, we, I bought a wired dog cage so I can put our rabbit over weed patches in our yard because our friends in Kalispell, their friend who lives close to the Washington, Oregon border on the coast has said that rabbits will eat weeds all the way down to the nub and kill them. And so I have set him above a fairly large patch of dandelions and he just huddles in the corner. But I've discovered that if I pull a dandelion up using this special weed digger thing that we have and give it to him, he will eat the flowers, the leaves and the roots. He starts with a flower with the leaves. So a whole dandelion tap root and all he eats the leaves first and then he eats the root and then he eats the flowers and he just leaves like the, the thing at the this bottom is, where it all sorry, comes Sorry, this together. is the rabbit? The rabbit. Okay. He will not taking notes. He will not eat them if they're still in the ground. But if I put a whole dandelion that I've dug out of the ground in front of him, he will eat it. The chickens don't eat dandelion plants. Cause I I'll bet them if you too. didn't feed him during the day, he would eat those he, dandelions. Yeah, that's true. He probably would. He's just being a, just an ordinary little butt. He's spoiled enough that he can mm-hmm. be picky. But uh, anyway, um, so that's the... The dandelion rabbit update. Kind of a fail. But, um... Oh, I also tried making dandelion ginger beer. Because I had seen this recipe for making out of the flowers dandelion. And I know we've talked about dandelion products before on here. But where you, you actually pluck the yellow part out and then you steep some tea out of it. And then this lady had made a ginger beer lemonade. So carbonated with the ginger bug that I use lemonade. But the water base for the lemonade was actually tea from dandelion flowers. And I got Faith, who you guys turns five next week. She's four. She has the attention span of a nearly five-year-old. She went into a field with me where I was fairly certain no one would have sprayed for dandelions. We picked dandelion heads for like 15 minutes filled a colander with him. She spent an hour, I kid you not, picking the yellow part out of dandelions. We filled a quart jar stuffed pretty full with just the yellow part of dandelions. My thumbnail is still stained from like poking at the heads to get it out. Steeped the tea like this lady gave in the directions. 
tasted it the next day, fortunately, before I mixed it with all the other ingredients, it was disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why you people love dandelion one and dandelion this. No, it's terrible. It's always has been and always will be. I I don't know. I I think that in a real, I would love to actually taste some good dandelion. You just did it in a real world and it's not good. That's true. Um, I don't know. Maybe I oversteeped it or something, but it was so much work. I'm probably not going to try I'll it I'll tell you what, and this I've got to throw in my uh, my my peak tea uh, referral. We get like a referral coupon or a discount on ordering. We don't actually make any money off this. But as you guys know, I've kind of gone mostly off of coffee and I drink black tea and green tea from peak teas, which is a puer, um, fermented puer tea, and it's just wonderful. You can't oversteep it. I love it. Because it's It's powder. always perfect. It's a powder. I know, it's always perfectly just... delicious. You don't know Which green tea, if you guys don't know, gets really uh, bitter if you oversteep it. So it And is I've never liked green tea until this. And then we had uh, a membership, our membership interview for church a couple of weeks ago. And our pastor came over and asked for some tea because he heard us talk about this on the show. And I don't know that he, I don't know that he was like it blew him away, but he wanted it iced. And I've never had iced green tea. So with the weather getting really warm, I've lately been, you know, maybe I'll have like one cup of coffee in the morning or none, and then I'll just go right to iced black tea. It's lovely. And then on the afternoon, I'll throw some iced green tea on, which is just as refreshing. But that black tea, I could drink that all day. Hot or cold? Cold. Oh my gosh, it's good. Anyway, sorry guys. That link for the referral link, if you want to try it, is in the show notes. Again, it's like ten dollars off a box. It's like ten right? bucks off, yeah, and it's expensive, so take the ten bucks and run. And then we get a credit for every referral. I think we get like ten dollars off an order every time somebody uses our our referral link. Can you use your own referral link? Probably not. No, they won't <laughs> let me. I tried. <laughs> They're like, mm, no, 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 no. Um, <clears throat> I have one more thing I want to throw out there. I woke up on Monday morning with. A song in my head from Andrew Osenga, who is a recording artist that lives in Andrew Peterson's world. Everybody lives in Nashville. uh, Yeah. He often, he always, often, I don't know, is in the Behold the Lamb of God show. And maybe the first year that we watched it, he sang a song that that it was just about life being hard. And... um, it's taken from that passage in Joel where he says, the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten. And I just, I didn't really necessarily have any particular moment in my own life when I got this song stuck in my head. But I'll have JR put the link to it in the show notes because in case anybody else uh, needs a reminder that the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten from an earworm song. Uh, maybe it can be an encouragement to you. And then interestingly enough, at our church Bible teaching on Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Judges, and we just are getting to Gideon. And the description of, I think it's the Midianites, whoever has taken over the land in the time of Gideon, they're even worse oppressors than any of the cycles leading up to Judges prior to Gideon. And they're described as like a swarm of locusts, which he then connected back to a passage in Deuteronomy, which said, if you break my covenant, if you, you know, if you don't do, do the things to keep covenant, I will send your enemies to overtake you like a swarm of locusts. And so there's this link between being covenant breakers and then how the enemy overtook Israel during Gideon's time, like a swarm of locusts, which means they're destroying everything in their path, like absolute destruction of all of the means of living that this agrarian culture had. And I have always, I don't know, I, now that I think about it, Joel was also, the people were in exile and having Breaking years covenants. that the locusts have eaten because of their because they were covenant breakers also for some reason i've i've always thought of that passage maybe because i'm a modern and i'm interpreting it through my modern lens as just a more of a generic form of suffering like maybe the first time i heard that passage and it registered with me was when my friend Addie, whose husband had died when she was eight months pregnant with their first child so she's living as a widow 
And she didn't remarry. I think her son was four when she, I could do the math in my head if I felt like it. Let's see. He died in, oh gosh, no, I'm not going to do the math. Anyway, I think her son, her son was four or five when she remarried and she, she listens to us. So you can correct me and I'll broadcast it publicly how, <laughs> how wrong I was. But, um, but I think I heard that in the context of her, you know, living as a widow, in this time of suffering and grief and wanting her son to have a dad and not wanting to be a single mom and um, having been married to a wonderful godly man and losing that. And so there's this period of feeling like your life and the good things in your life are being stripped away from you. And I guess I've always interpreted that verse in the context of more modern suffering and not in the context of I'm a covenant breaker and I'm suffering because I've because I've justly incurred God's anger and I, judgment upon myself. No, as you started connecting those three links, I thought to myself, I interpret it as um, as a hope in the midst of injustice. Which is also not so, necessarily the it is. Right. But it's like is that correct? Maybe we've been missing. Maybe this this verse doesn't mean what we think it means. <laughs> I think it is a hope in the midst of injustice, right? Because it the the people who were doing evil against God's people in the time of the judges they weren't they were God's instrument to do. Um, they were God's instrument of justice against his people who were breaking covenant with him. But, you know, to go back to our very, our discussion about hell, that doesn't mean that they were right to do it. They were doing evil against other image bearers, against other people. And same thing in the book of Joel. These people are experiencing horrible injustice. And, and yet they're, they're experiencing injustice on a horizontal level. Well, what they're experiencing is just on a vertical level. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I guess what it's, I think it's a both and, right? Um, if you look at someone who is suffering because of the result of, of past sin, and you can say, yeah, you're suffering as a result of choices that you've made. But also your suffering is genuinely sad and hard and I can walk alongside you and grieve that with you without judging you and saying, well, you deserve it. You know, that's never a helpful thing <laughs> as, a, <laughs> as a fellow Christian to say to somebody. Um, and, and that you can hold out that promise that the Lord will restore the years the locusts have eaten to anybody in any form of suffering, whether they quote unquote deserve it or not, because the promise of the Lord is the same, that trusting in him, because the, the chorus of, or the kind of the punchline or whatever of the Andrew Osenga song is take comfort and rest. So what do you do when you trust that you have a good sovereign Lord who is bigger than whatever injustice or whatever suffering even if it's your fault. He's bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your mm -hmm. capacity to screw up your own life. And he's bigger than somebody else's capacity to screw up your life. And it, if he doesn't restore the years the locusts have eaten in, in this life, there's an entire eternity of joy awaiting you for that will more than make up for it, which there's total biblical precedent for believing that. Um... I look forward to the day when we're when we're living ostensibly the lives we're living now, sort of more or less, but in a perfect on a perfect planet, perfect justice, perfect relationships, perfect relationship with God, perfect satisfaction and work. It's all perfect. No snakes. Which probably won't be a snake. Well, maybe the snakes will be friendly and won't be afraid. Probably. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, we won't have families, which is weird. Will we? There will be no marrying or given, being given in marriage. But is that the new heavens and the new earth? Yeah. It's just weird. It's just weird. Because God, the reason it's weird to me, 
is because the first thing God said after creating a human, it's not good for this guy to be alone. And that's pre-fall. And it's like, so what does that even mean? Which I which totally understand. Anyway, we don't even need to get into that. Yeah, that's um, like way beyond our pay grade <clears throat> and, and beyond our bedtime. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Because, um, I mean, the idea of not being, not having the relationship I have with you now for eternity, like that makes me want to cry a little bit. Just Except like, you won't get bugged by me being on my phone all the time. Well, yeah, there's that. It'll be perfect. We'll be a perfect, we'll be perfect relationship. So it'll be oh, great. You'll have a, you yeah. would have a perfect wife, hypothetically, if you haven't had yeah. a wife. I, I mean, and then like all the kids, like what, how do, how do mother-father relationships work? I just, there's so many questions that I just, it makes me go, well, is this all even real? <laughs> I'm not going to worry about it right now. Oh, you guys, we better cut this <sighs> off before JR turns into a, a what? A, I have a an apostate. Crisis. Before an apostate. JR goes apostate, let's cut this off yeah, and go put the kids turn to into bed. Derek Webb. Okay. Um, yeah. So if you guys want to interact with us uh, on anything we have, we've had to say, or you want to uh, add to the diatribe or correct our history or our theology, great. We'd love to hear from you, and we're not kidding. Um, the number one way people will get a hold of us is through. Uh, our our private Telegram channel. We've got a too busy to flush Telegram group, and those uh, there's about seventy members ish or so, and probably small fraction of them are really active. Um, and you'll you'll be able to interact with other listeners, and you know they're great people. Love every single one of them. So that link is in the show notes. Um, if you want to just jump on our website and buy a people are weird and hard coffee mug or a T-shirt, you can do that too. That's www.toobusytoflush, all grammatically correct, .com, or tb, the number 2f.com. And while you're there, you can scroll all the way down on the homepage and send us a little postcard if you want to get in touch with us that way. There's been other ways that I've said you can get in touch with us, but people don't use those, so I'm not going to bother with them. Um, those are the two that people use, so that's cool. Uh, yeah, and then while you're there in the show notes, clicking on the Telegram link, don't forget, I've got a peak tea referral code if you want to try some really amazing tea. Like I said, the only kickback we get is like I get a $10 off uh, coupon or something like that when I order after you've ordered and you get like 10 bucks off or something like that. And then if you also want to buy some Bitcoin, we all know the American uh, dollar is, is and I've always been a strong crypto fan. I like where it's headed. I like the potential. Um, we'll see what they do with it. But so get some. I got a Gemini referral code for some Bitcoin in our show notes. And then finally, uh, we're a weekly podcast. We're inconsistent about what day we put out, which just being consistent would probably increase our listenership. But again, we it's hard to be disciplined. Um, it's not just discipline. It's also life. Yeah, but I mean, I probably have the time to spend one or two days a week just on the show. And I always say this, I try to shift stuff, direction, focus, be more intentional about things, and I always fail. So that's hard for me, because it's frustrating. I see potential. Anyway, um, finally, we're a weekly show, so with that in mind, we will... Hopefully talk to you next week. There it is. <laughs>